This is Live Limitless episode 13. Welcome to the Live Limitless podcast where we interview normal, everyday people who decided to push their limits and live a much more limitless and remarkable life. I am your host, Matthew G. Bailey, world-traveling vagabond, writer, and online entrepreneur. If you have a few minutes, I would absolutely appreciate a review on iTunes for the Live Limitless podcast, or feel free to stop by livelimitless.net and leave a comment on the interview page, or check out some past interviews that have been done. Joining us on the show today is Scott Brills, an international entrepreneur and world traveler. Uh, I actually met Scott through a friend of mine on Facebook and then met him in person at the World Domination Summit in 2013. And then we also spent a week together in the deserts of Nevada for Burning Man in August 2013. So I've definitely shared some some pretty amazing adventures with Scott and just realized um, how great of a guy he was. And I wanted to have him on the show. Basically, uh, fresh out of high school many years ago, he ended up on a year-long exchange in Japan, which is what gave him the love for travel. Upon returning, he ended up starting a web development company that was able to allow him the freedom to travel the world and pay the bills. And now he's also started a safari with a partner of his in Africa. So I just thought it was cool that he's uh, basically traveling the world, supporting himself with any kind of opportunity he can find that uh, fits the bill. You can learn more about Scott at scottbrills.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-B-R-I-L-L-S.com. And hope you enjoy the show. Scott Brills, how's it going? Doing good, Matt. Doing good. How about you? Good, good. Are you back in uh, New York now? Detroit, Detroit. Detroit, Detroit uh, right, sorry. Detroit. Yeah, I was in New York a few weeks ago, and then uh, Columbia, and now Detroit, and, and tomorrow I'll be off to Lebanon for a week, and back for a couple of days, Phoenix for a week, then Southeast Asia for four and a half months. Nice. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a pretty good 2014 already. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty odd that I have things planned out this far in advance, but it's... Uh, it's looking to be pretty exciting. I got a lot of a lot of things on my plate this year, but it, it'll be a cool challenge. And you're only going to Lebanon for a week. So what, what's that for? Mm-hmm. Is that like a, a uh, there was a, there's a pricing mistake a few weeks ago on a small Norwegian carrier uh, that I found out about through uh, the points guy and uh, through through Matt uh, Nomadic Matt. And uh, I thought that it wouldn't go through, so I was just like, eh, if I had any time, which I had one week available in January, which I shouldn't even be leaving because I got so much to my plate, I was like, where would I want to go? And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to go to Lebanon. And I priced it out, and it came out to 400 bucks round trip from Detroit. And so I, I purchased it, fully expecting that the next day or two it would be canceled, and it went through. Um, so some people got trip to, trips to uh, Italy from New York, 150 bucks all-inclusive, like, you know, airfare. Um, it was nuts. Uh, so now I'm going to Lebanon. I don't know anybody there. I don't have any plans. I just secured some Airbnb uh, reservations the other day, and I'm just going to wing it for a week. I love Lebanese food, and uh, so I think I'll, I'll have a lot of fun no matter what. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. I actually heard about, I think, I don't know if it was the same one with, uh, with Delta that hmm. had the, also the pricing mistake. And that I was actually right, got it. Right before this one, or right after it, I forget. I got an email from. Um, uh, a popular magazine in Canada 
that wanted to interview me and see if I could like tell them how to tell people to to find out about these mistake fairs. But I, I mean, I told them there's the blogs to follow, like being active on social media. But a lot of it just comes down to uh, some luck, I would think, right? Like oh, just yeah. being in the it's right total, place. Total luck. Like I just happened to be. It was like a Saturday afternoon, and um, which means it was Saturday night in Norway going into Sunday and they don't work on Sundays. You know, most people don't work on Sundays in Norway. Um, so I don't think that they corrected it until late that night. And, uh, it just, it just happens that I went on Facebook that day, which I guess I do every day. So that wasn't a lot of luck, but, uh, I was friends with some people that, that, uh, posted it in their newsfeed and I happened to see it and, you know, it just happened to be me in the right place on a Saturday afternoon. And then of course the, the willingness to just kind of roll the die, you know, I, I knew that um, even if it was canceled, I'd get my money back. So it's kind of risk-free. But um, yeah, yeah, I took a, took a chance. I've done it before and it has, hasn't worked out. And so this is one of the times it did. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good to me. And then for uh, Southeast Asia, you, is that like a – do you usually go like backpacking for uh, an amount of time or do you spend a lot of time in a place and do any work? Yeah, or- I, I like to spend a lot of time in a place. So I'll, I'll be um, – in Bangkok for a month uh, with with our, our mutual friend uh, Mike and a few other people, and uh, we'll be living in uh, our mutual friend Charmaine's parents' mansion near the airport. Uh, they they own some companies in Thailand, and they won't be using it for a while. So, uh, luckily, we were we were invited there, uh, and uh, we'll just kind of travel around the country for a bit. Uh, during February, we'll go hit up the full moon party and a few other places. I, I'm I'm the only one besides Charmaine that's been there before. This is my fifth time back to Thailand, and so it'll be fun to kind of show the rest of them uh, around. It'll be six of us, so that'll that'll be kind of fun playing tour guide. And then I, I leave from there and go to Japan, be there for a month, two weeks uh, by myself, and then two weeks leading around a uh, half dozen friends of mine on a culinary tour of Japan. I, I used to live there, and so I, I speak the language, and I'm just going you know, to play the tour guide again and an interpreter. And then uh, India for a month doing a rickshaw rally for charity across the country, 3,000 miles in, a, in an auto rickshaw. And uh, then I go back to Thailand to rest up a bit, I go to Burma for two weeks because I've always wanted to go, and it seemed like a good time, and then back to Thailand for two weeks, and then back home. <laughs> And then I'll see you at uh, WDS, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if I'll be able to, able to go this time because it's right in the span of that uh, stampede I told you about. Oh, right. Right, right, right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Burma, yeah, that's great. That that was like one of our uh, favorite destinations. Oh, so you've already been Asia. before? Yeah, we were there for 21 days. Oh, nice, really? nice. I'll have to get some, uh, some tips from you about where to go. I'll, I'll be flying into – I just picked a city. I didn't – like I used to plan out everything and I very rarely plan out very much in advance because everything changes. Uh, but I decided to fly into Mandalay instead of Yangon. So, um, we'll see what there is to do there. I know it's not too far up river from, uh, the old capital or whatnot. Uh, it's a brief studying, but I figure, you know, two weeks before I leave, I'll just kind of research it in Thailand and then just wing it. Yeah. And there's definitely the Bagan where all the temples are. You can, Mm -hmm. from Mandalay is, is where we took the, uh, Close to Mandalay, we took the boat. It's like a yeah, yeah. eight-hour boat ride to, to Bagan. Uh, that was cool. That was very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably do the same thing then. But uh, other other than that, like I haven't really researched anything. I think it'd be kind of cool to go up north um, into some of the territories you're not supposed to go to. <laughs> but we'll see about that. Kind of meet with uh, some of the guerrilla guerrilla factions up there. <laughs> yeah, I do that. <laughs> How about this? Um, 
the rickshaw race. How did that come about? I uh, I did a something similar a couple of years ago where I I drove a rickshaw from the northeast little peninsula of India all the way across the country um, across Nepal the entire length and then over to Rajasthan ending in Jaisalmer which is pretty much the last city you can get to in the west before you hit Pakistan and uh, it was a uh, two thousand miles it was very difficult and I swore I would never ever do such a thing again. And here I am. <laughs> so, so we'll, it's, a, it's a loosely organized rally for charity or raising money um, to preserve rainforests in South America. I know it's kind of odd that we're doing this in India to save rainforests in South America, but the organizer kind of chose that charity. And so every team raises about 1600 bucks towards it. And you can raise more money and donate to whatever charity you want, but their goal is to, to raise about $1,500, $1,600 from every team. And they give you the rickshaw. Uh, for about three weeks, and they set a starting point, and you have a launch party, and then you're on your own. So you and I, I'm going to be going with my podcast uh, co-host, Matt, um, and we'll be going for about three weeks, 3,000 miles from Kerala in the very south or southwest uh, of the country, all the way back up to where I started last time. So a completely different route, about 1,000 miles longer. Um, I've heard it'll be rainier and hotter, which will be great. But at least I know what to expect now, and I, and I can kind of plan for it a little bit better. And, you know, last time, I mean, I remember I was in bed. Uh, my buddy had gotten there, my buddy Mike, uh, and I was sitting in bed, and I was like, man, do you know that tomorrow we're going to just leap in this thing, and we have to drive 2,000 miles across the country with, like, the most dangerous roads in the world? Not to mention, like, the most crappily maintained roads in the world. And we have to drive this thing all the way to the end. And I'm like, I don't even know how to drive this thing. I've had 10 minutes of practice with it. And tomorrow we're just going to be thrown on it and be like, go. And he's like, yeah, man, it's crazy. And the next day, a monsoon came right when we were starting. And so we're like, <clears throat> we're driving this thing um, through flooded bridges. And there's this water coming in on both sides, drenching us because there's no sides to it. Um, and it, the water's up to like the floorboard. And um, like a half hour after we started, the rickshaw in front of us, the back wheel flew off and it tipped over and sparks came out everywhere. And <laughs> we had to try to help them find the bolts because someone hadn't screwed in the wheel correctly. It was a tough, like the first three days of it were super tough. We broke down 12 times the next day, We'd only end up going 50 kilometers in 14 hours. Um, third day, we got the engine completely disassembled and repaired and and then from then on, it was a little bit easier with the engine, but like every day we'd just be getting lost. We'd be dirty, full of oil and gasoline every day and uh, driving 12, 14 hours. The headlights didn't work, so my buddy had to lean out the window with a flashlight, you know, and there's these giant trucks coming down the opposite way, uh, you know, running you off the road and cows everywhere and oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's nuts, burning trash and hordes of people surrounding you whenever you stop anywhere kind of like children of the corn it's kind of surround you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It was so for some reason I signed up again and that's what I'll be doing in April. How did you like, uh, how do you find out about that stuff? Is there like a fee to join? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a fee. So you, you pay 1600 bucks, um, to join and, and you get used to the rickshaw. And, um, I found out about it. if you go to uh, the adventurists.com, uh, there's a website with that and with a few other events that they do, uh, they, they do a drive from Mongolia or London to Mongolia, um, in a crappy small car that you buy yourself. I did that in 2009. 
that kind of sparked my love of uh, of motor vehicle travel around the world. And so I just keep doing it. You know, every other year or so, I, I do something similar. Like last year, or well, 2012, I, I drove from London to Cape Town in, uh, in some cars, and, and that was pretty interesting. And I'm planning on maybe next year or the year after doing a Pan American from uh, tip of Alaska down to Tierra del Fuego. Cool, so, yeah. Yeah, just once you do it, it's one hell of a drug. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've actually, I've been considering, um, for Christmas, they bought me like, I got a best journeys around the world type thing. So just for some ideas and there was a a cool bike you can do from France. No, I think it's from like somewhere up in Norway down through France into the end of, uh, Portugal Hmm. on a bike. That sounds pretty cool. Oh, uh, yeah. I've, I've actually heard something like that. There's another one, um, from London to Istanbul. I believe, and it's, it's also partially put on by the adventurists who do these other these other ones. And they also have like one in Siberia, where you rent one of those uh, sidecar motorcycles and go for like 800 miles across the tundra. Uh, there's another one in uh, in a kind of like a rickshaw tuk tuk type thing in uh, Peru, where you go from one side to the other across the mountains. So there's some pretty some pretty interesting events that they have going on. And a good group of people. I've known them for a while, and I'm friends with a lot of the uh, the staff there. So um, yeah, it is a little bit of money up front, but you know, they make it. It's not that you can't do some of the stuff on your own, but they make it a lot easier as far as the planning and logistics and getting you like the tuk tuk, um, which you'd have to you know you can't really buy it in India and register it in your name. You don't have an address yeah. or anything um, for doing the Mongolia drive uh, without their help. Mongolia doesn't usually allow you to import vehicles into the country, and they have a special thing set up where, like, they allow that because they donate the vehicles at the end. Um, so, and is yeah. the and is the registration fee is that what goes towards the charity, or is it like nope, is it separate. what you raise? So okay. you, it is a for-profit company, although I don't think that they would make that much money off of it. Uh, but they, that's for operations and and everything, and to pay for the cost of maintaining the rickshaw and buying them in the first place. So. Um, yeah, like the, the additional money that you raise for charity, that all goes towards charity. Like you do it for them, but a hundred percent of that goes towards charity. Cool. And then, um, I also wanted to ask you about your, uh, I read on your blog that you started a safari company. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, I was funding my travels for about 10 years through doing web development and uh, it was it was good, and, and but it's eventually I got a little bit tired of it. So I still do it on the side a bit, but uh, my main focus now is a safari company in Tanzania. Uh, when I went over there in 2010, I for the first time, uh, along with my father, I became friends with one of our assistant guides during a, a 10 day or so uh, safari trip, and um, I proposed to him that let's start up a company, and he was. He didn't really have plans to do that, but he said, yeah, sure, let's try it out. And I knew it would be kind of low risk as far as, you know, we'd both put in a little bit of time and money and let's see how it goes. So that was three years ago that we started it up in 2011. And uh, we are shooting to be Safari 2.0. Like Safari companies um, are generally owned by older European people or they're owned by um, by local Africans um and they don't really know how to how to reach their target market effectively using like social media and modern modern PR tactics. So since this is what I've been doing for the last ten years, I thought let's combine that and disrupt uh, the safari industry. We can offer 
a lot more exp uh, you know, experience and features at the same price point as them if we just get rid of the 100-page glossy photo album brochures that they send out to everyone you know, on a monthly basis. You know, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, sure, we could do that, but let's do it in a PDF and send it via email or whatnot. Now, granted, it, it won't be quite as effective, but the amount of money we save, we could put back into the safaris. Um, and we can, we just, we offer a lot more service at the same price point as other people. And uh, so our goal is, is really to become one of the leading safari providers in Tanzania. Um, and, you know, around the same routes that everyone else does, uh, Serengeti and Gorongoro Crater. We also offer uh, Kilimanjaro hikes and uh, to, you know, kind of disrupt that industry. So we've been working on that for a few years and, and we're doing a, um, a hard launch uh, later on this year uh, of the website and the marketing and, and really trying to get more people in. And our, our biggest uh, our biggest source of, of new clients is it's going to be word of mouth. I've learned if you if you impress uh, the pants off people, they will tell everyone else, you know. And, and since uh, a safari is really on the bucket list of most people, like anybody who's willing to travel or who, who enjoys travel, which is a lot of people, um, I would say over 90% of them have doing a safari on their bucket list. And so that's a huge potential pool of people. So if somebody does it and they tell their friends about it, like, what has happened to me at various points throughout my life, like when my uncle and aunt did a safari, um, they just come back and they rave about it. They post their pictures on Facebook and everything. And so we're going to make it very easy for people to to share their stories, their experiences, and their pictures and their videos. And just in the act of doing that, uh, we are going to get a lot of new business. So we're not really worried about those full-color uh, glassy brochures or, or any of that kind of old-school stuff, you know, through the mail. Yeah, um, and I also want to try to make it more accessible for people that are younger 20s 30s for instance people that don't necessarily think about doing a safari because they think it's out of their price range um it really isn't if you if you look at it versus um a trip to the caribbean or to europe or something like that it's not that much more money it's just that people think it is people think it's a huge luxury item and it can be depending on what you do and what company you go with but it really is not that much money i mean you're talking like you can do a two-week vacation one week safari one week on island of zanzibar go diving all that stuff five thousand dollars including airfare you know and airfare alone is about two thousand of that so you figure like three thousand dollars on ground cost um it's really not that much and we're talking um for the the safari part all-inclusive like airport pickup to airport drop off, all the meals provided for, all the hotels provided for, a guide, you know, all you pay for are souvenirs and, and alcoholic drinks. So like that's not bad. Like you're gonna pay that much like going to Jamaica, you know, on the ground. If yeah. You, if you stay at a, an all inclusive resort for two weeks, that'll be three thousand dollars. True. So two weeks, yeah, it's a long time. So it, it I think it's really it's not something that's out of the price range of people that that are around our age. Uh, if you just save a little bit and you choose to do it instead of going to, to Europe, let's say, uh, that it's within everyone's range. And, and so I'm just trying to kind of publicize that fact. And that'll be one of our main challenges because I, I think that, that everyone should have the chance of, of doing it if they want to. And we may aim to make it more accessible in, in that way, just through knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. I always wondered, like for starting a, a business like that, and I'm sure this would take more than a, another podcast to, to go into big details but like when you meet someone like that how do you 
I guess how how do you, how do you go about starting a you know if some listeners wanted to start some kind of a business <laughs> with someone overseas, uh-huh. is there a lot of um, paperwork involved with that kind of stuff? Or with a safari, there must be a lot of investment, wouldn't there, in a vehicle and things like that? Or? It depends how you do it. It depends on your partner. It depends on the country. So in our case, which is really all I can talk about, I mean, I'm involved in, in different countries doing business ventures, but as far as like actually owning the company, uh, this is the first time I've done that. So my partner and I are 50-50 in it. We start up the company over there. We're lucky because they use um, English tax laws, which are very similar to Canadian uh, tax and business laws. And so we have a limited liability company, an LTD company. Uh, All the paperwork for banking and for the incorporation of it were in English, Uh, very similar to if you started in a company in the UK. And um, we had some fees in order to establish that, to establish the bank account. Um, There's a fee every year if you are a tour operator that you have to pay to the government. but you know, a lot of that stuff, like he did everything on the ground. Sometimes he'd have to FedEx me things so I could sign them and FedEx them back, which is kind of you know antiquated and old school, but that's what you have to work with. Uh, and we also started up over here. So we've got uh, the, the U.S. leg of the company, which is where we do the billing in order to make it so that we don't have to, you know, in, in Africa, certain parts of Africa, credit cards are still not used that often. And so uh, we can't do billing it from Africa. Can you imagine um, everyone, you know, someone like buys it online or whatever. And, they're, you know, obviously the credit card company is going to be like, whoa, 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 you're spending like $10,000 in Tanzania? That doesn't sound legit. And so I thought <laughs> like, okay, this could provide us with a lot of problems. So instead, we'll bill from the U.S. Um, and we'll probably do like once a month, um, uh, you know, wire transfers over to, to Tanzania to supply them with the um, with everything on the ground as far as like the fees that they need to run the tours, pay the park fees, pay the hotels, and the food and everything. Um, but he's in charge of everything on the ground, logistics and whatnot. I'm in charge of PR, website, marketing, uh, customer interactions, at least at first until we uh, hire another person. And... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it it, uh, it works out pretty good as far as like a, a pretty fair 50-50 split. Um, I, I trust him. You know, that's a big thing when you're doing business overseas. Do you trust the person? And, um, otherwise, you could definitely get burned. Um, and we split the costs evenly, and we communicate on a regular basis. And, uh, yeah, it, it seems to work out pretty pretty well, uh, at least it has over the past three years. And um, I'm very optimistic going into it. But as far as you know, what, what was required... If you think about it, it's really not that much, and, and we did not put in the money to buy vehicles and whatnot because there's always vehicles that are unused that other companies own, and they're always very happy to rent them out to get some extra money. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're taking advantage of that. And so the vehicles that we have, we rent them from another company. Uh, we slap our uh, magnetic uh, sticker on the side you know, with our, our company name, and we use those. And it's interesting way they do it. They actually, you pay per day and includes all the fuel costs and in case of any damage. So you actually get like built in insurance and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, even though it's a little bit more money, I mean, you're talking 70, 80 grand for a custom land cruiser over there. Cause they actually custom make, they elongate them. There's actually uh, Toyota has, has, um, given them the okay to kind of do custom work on these, on these vehicles. They turn out very nice, but they're very expensive. And, um, you know, they last uh, significantly less time, even though they're good quality Toyotas than a regular car because of all the tough roads and conditions. So you figure after 50, 60,000 miles, they're pretty rattled up. You know, so that's a lot yeah. of money putting in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every few years. 
So well, we might maybe buy later on, or we might just take advantage of that market opportunity and, and rent from people that aren't using them. Yeah, why not, right? Less liability, yeah. and it's going to be a really cool adventure for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool company. Yeah, yeah. And then to uh, just to I guess to rewind a bit. I mean, I've I've spent a lot of time with you just at like the party places, World Domination <laughs> Summit, and Burning Man, and I knew you did some web design, but I didn't know exactly what the details were. And you were saying that's. That's pretty much how you've uh, supported your life for the last ten years. You were saying, mm-hmm. yeah. And how did how did that come up. about? Like, um, or how did you start that? Because I guess ten years ago it wasn't. Now a lot of people I think just use WordPress, yeah, and things yeah. like that. But I'm, I'm assuming back then it was uh, more coding. Yeah, I, I mean, I taught myself how to make sites on uh, GeoCities back in '96 before a lot of people those. didn't know what, what websites <laughs> were. And so uh, I was doing that just for personal amusement for a few years, making fan sites and whatnot. Uh, and then I realized people would pay me for it. And so starting in 2000 or so, I started making websites for money. And I really got serious about it in about 2002. And uh, in 2002 is when I really started, after studying in Japan for a year, I started doing my travels. So from 2002 onwards, I'd spend two, three months a year traveling um, generally in, in Japan because I knew a lot of friends there and I had free couches to, to sleep on and whatnot. Um, and started doing travel hacking to get free flights with my credit cards, you know, in 2004. Uh, and so I just kept doing that. It was great. But I, over, you know, the course of 10 years or so, I just kind of lost interest. Um, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's a service business. And so you're always on call in case someone's website goes down or, you know, and it's very tough sometimes to get people to express exactly what they want in words, a lot of guesswork, a lot of revisions and whatnot. So it, it was a means to an end and, and I'm happy I did it. You know, I had a, my firm going for a while, still operating, but uh, a little bit scaled back and, uh, it allowed me to live out my dream of just, of traveling and location independent work way before the four hour work week came out. And, um, I was the only one doing it. You know, I didn't really know anybody else doing something like that. And everyone kind of thought I was a drug dealer or an arms salesman. But, uh, yeah, it, it worked, and, and I just kind of kept costs low. Um, you know, I stayed with my parents whenever I was at home, and I uh, got free flights, and I slept on people's couches when I was traveling, but I had a heck of a lot of, time, a lot of fun. And, yeah. and, it, you know, and then eventually you just kind of want a little bit more. You want to go to different countries. You may want to have a stay in a hotel every once in a while. Uh, you, wanna, you, know, you may need to buy certain things, electronics, a new laptop, or a car for when you're home. And so I decided to move on to the next level and through the Safari company, eventually I can get it to a point um, where it will operate uh, without my direct involvement for most of the time. And uh, plus it, it's something that I r- I'm really interested in, um, doing business in Africa, uh, working with animals because I love animals. Uh, and uh we are, we're going to support a few orphanages in the area, so the, it's a whole philanthropy aspect to it. And then also just the fact that I'm starting up a company, um, especially internationally, uh, is a big thing. I, I love starting up companies, and I love working internationally. I love traveling internationally. So it really combines a lot of my passions together, more than, um, than web design did. Web design, I knew how to do it. I was decent at it, I think. Uh, and it provided me money and freedom, but... You know, just moving on from there, and and I think that this venture will be even more successful. And this is really what I'm going to be concentrating on the next few years. Sweet. And so, is that like your two main income streams? Then is the website design 
and uh, Safari now going forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few other things that I do as far as um, I do some consulting um, on a retainer basis uh, for some tech companies as far as like uh, user interface and, and design. Uh, I have a few affiliate websites, which I get a little bit of money off of. I've been doing since 2006. Um, and I've got a few other business partnerships. Um, I'm, I'm working with a tour guide in Bhutan. And uh, so I, I help him with his marketing and, and PR and send people his way for a cut of the profits. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, besides, well, nice. besides that, like it just little things here and there, but that's uh, those are the main revenue streams. When you get into business, like, for example, with the tour guide in, in, in Bhutan, how do you... Is there any way to ensure that you'll get a cut of the profits? No, but you, you'll find out pretty quickly if you're not. <laughs> and you can yeah. break things off, and hopefully the only thing you put into it is a bit of time, and you can just say, you know, well, lesson learned, I'll do things differently next time. Um, but when you're spending time with, you know, like with that guy, that was my guide when I was in Bhutan. The guy I've got the company right now is, was my guide in Tanzania. You're spending a good two weeks with them, and um, you get a pretty good um you know if there's any warning signs generally you'll you'll notice them uh and i just got along well with both of them and and i made it known you know what i did and and i kind of said like hey we might be able to help you do you want to want to work on something together and just kind of looking for an opportunity you know wherever i go i'm, I'm always open opportunities and, and looking for opportunities in whatever market and then it's just a matter of of how to go ahead and take advantage of those and how does he know when you send him? Like, how does he know that the person came from you, I guess, or from your efforts? Uh, because I managed a few websites for him. Like, he didn't even have a website. And so I, I bought a few good domain names and developed content on them. And so when he, he has a, uh, someone to inquire from there, um, it goes to an email that both of us have contact with and sure okay he could funnel them to another address and just be like oh no they just never responded anymore and then keep them in that email address but i, I choose to be pretty um pretty optimistic on that end uh, sure he could do that i'd probably find out about it and then he'd lose that income stream i'd take down the websites uh, i think there's more that he would lose than i would lose because he's still maintaining the bulk of the profits yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, we, we've set up a system and, and it always requires trust, especially when you have a business partner that's thousands of miles away. Uh, just like any relationship, it needs to be built on trust and um, either side could ruin it in an instant and it could never be never be uh, kind of worked on again. But I'm usually pretty optimistic and I give people a chance and if they screw me over, all right, well, too bad for you and I, I've learned my lesson and I'll just be more careful next time. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say with, um, just to backtrack back to the websites, I just noticed that a lot of people starting out now that are kind of looking for uh, ways to earn money online are trying to work a lot with uh, WordPress in general uh, and websites. So I was just wondering, like, how, how, how did you go about finding your clients? Also online? Much or um, I, I have my website web page up m7.net and I still have it up but it's I really don't get much more than um, asks for quotes on there uh, a lot of people you know shopping for quotes especially they probably already have someone else in mind but they're just getting a quote just for the heck of it uh, just because they have to get three quotes and so I haven't really gotten much business off of there it's more of just kind of like a figurehead just to be like hey I'm a legit company and this is my you know this is my content um, 
I would say that 95% of it probably comes from referrals, word of mouth. And that goes back into the whole safari thing where I'm saying, like, you do a good job, you impress people, you're friendly, you're, and, uh, you know, you will get business. You know, it, it comes back to you, and they will give you business. <clears throat> I guarantee you that uh, they have a good time. Someone asks them, who'd you go with? They're going to say, we went with these guys, and they were awesome. We went with Pomoja Safaris, and they did a great job, and... Uh, once you get the ball rolling, you really don't have to put too much work into it because it'll just kind of spiderweb from there. And people will tell people will tell people, um, and you don't really have to worry as much about marketing efforts, at least in the beginning. Depends on how big you want to get. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a pretty maintainable uh, organic growth strategy in the beginning, and just get uh, an initial push, and then see how that works out with the residual. Uh, residual amount of you know, clients coming in over the next year or so. Because generally people plan that about a year in advance on average. Cool. And then on, on another note, I've noticed that like you're obviously uh, pretty good at meeting people, connecting with people, hmm. things like that. And uh, obviously like I met you at World Domination Summit. And I think hmm. uh, from what I read, you went to a lot of different types of conferences and summits last year. And yeah, a member yeah, of... Yeah. Um, dynamite circle and that kind of stuff and i just wondering like what, what do you think like for i guess for people that are either just starting out or in the middle do you think doing that kind of stuff is important and how do you go about um making the right connections and building that friendship it was it was a long time like for me i, well, I wasn't a particularly outgoing person when i started up my company but i realized pretty quickly that you have to be kind of outgoing and and i did all the stuff that that a lot of uh kind of neophyte business owners do as far as going to the um local chamber of commerce mixers and the bni and lbn networking groups and stuff like that and um they they i didn't really have a lot of luck from them um you know, they're, they're like networking things. You go do, you have lunch, you exchange business cards with everyone, you tell everyone what you do, you give them an elevator speech. Uh, but yeah, I, I did that for many years and I would just walk into the room. I'm the, I don't know anybody uh, and it just forces you to talk to people. And I felt very uh, anxious at times and out of place at times because generally I was like 22 years old and everyone else is like these 40-year-old insurance salespeople and lawyers and stuff like that. So... Um, I felt anxious, but again, it helped me stand out too. Um, there wasn't really anybody else around my age doing that. Uh, and then I graduated from there, and and I realized that those don't work very well because people go there basically with selfish intentions. They go there because they want to get business. Um, they have a stack of business cards. Hey, nice to meet you. Business card here. Nice to meet you. Business card. You don't really make much of an impression that way. And. So I realized a few people that really stood out to me were the people I had long conversations with, usually not about business. Like I would get to talking about my upcoming drive to Mongolia, and the guy would be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, let me know if you ever want any help or anything. And we, we talk about other things other than business. And so I realized that um, the best connections you can make are friends. Um, if you are friends with somebody, they go out of their way to try to help you in your business if you need anything or, or to refer you people. It's not even something that you think about. It's, it's not you're not doing it on a transaction basis. Uh, you, I, I only want to do business with people, preferably that that I like, that I'm, I'm friends with. And so I go out there now, and 
I just go and meet people and, and connect with as many people as possible and make a lot of friends or acquaintances, whatever you want to call them. But I talk to them like I never go into anything and, and think like, oh, I, I really need to talk to this person about business. Like they can totally like give me business. I go there and I talk with them about everything non-business. It's, it's kind of a very Japanese thing to do where you don't really go in and, and talk about it straight off. But I, I want to get a feel for their character, uh, talk with them, see how we could um, possibly be friends, you know. And then from there, uh, it could lead to business or it could not. But if it doesn't, I don't really care uh, because you made a new friend. And so I think about it you know, from now on when I go to all these events like I did last year, meeting with a lot of people that have like minds and that have uh, a lot of business experience. They're very motivational, inspirational people, you know, things, people that are doing you know, five years younger than me and doing things on a huge scale. Um, it's great. I've got a lot of new friends now. If I ever need a hand in the future, I've got a whole army of people behind me, uh, and and it's just it's it's great to go out there and, and meet these people. and And I know that every single time that I meet a new person, it has a possibility, it's an opportunity to completely change my life. You know, I look at every single person I meet as a potential life changer for me, and that's it's happened. Like last year, it happened uh, quite a few times, and the year before, it happened a few times, and so. I really, um, within reason, try to go to like a lot of these mixers and not mixers, but like these, um, they're kind of on a different scale than the LBN groups or the BNI groups and, and whatnot. I don't go to those anymore because um, it's, it's a little bit different mindset there. I go to these conferences abroad, uh, these p places where I know people uh, that are operating on a huge scale are at a lot of like minds and I go in there and I meet a lot of people, you know, and I might come out of it like you don't even use business cards anymore, really. Like you go and you get to talking, you become friends on Facebook, right? And then from there, uh, you can maintain a relationship. That's kind of what happened to us, right? We we became friends on Facebook and then we just kind of stayed in contact. Uh, and so I, I, yeah, I really think that that meeting people and going into relationships without the expectation of getting something out of it is the way to go. For sure. And do you think, do you think it's also like ben beneficial or I guess, how would you go about connecting for those who can't like make it to maybe world domination summit yet and stuff? How would you go about connecting with someone online? Mm. Um, you would do it. So, so the, the easiest way really is to meet in person. I would say you can, you can make connections online, but it's not anywhere near as quick or as effective as meeting them in person. So if you can't get to World Domination Summit in, in Portland this year, try to go next year. I and mean, there's a ton of like-minded people. If you're listening to this right now and you haven't been, chances are you'll like it. Even if you don't even buy a ticket to the event and you just go to hang out with the people. For sure. Uh, highly recommended. And, and other other meetups uh, like uh, TBEX, um, you know, travel blog exchange, things like that where, where people that are doing what you want to do are at – just go around and meet them, and, and I guarantee you it'll improve your life in some way and, and generally give you business leads and, and lead to, to whole new things. You know, I mean, you can always try sending emails to people, but like the people that are at a higher echelon, um, they don't have enough time for email. Like generally, you're not going to get a response back, or even if you do, it's not going to be one of those long-term exchanges that ends yeah. in friendship. It's just tough. People don't have enough time nowadays, and so you really got to go out and, and meet in person. That will kickstart anything like this if if you meet somebody and you're a decent person and you can talk to people you know on, on any level or or relate to people uh i guarantee you that that will kick start it you know 100 times faster than anything you would do online uh, but yeah, I, also so the other thing though is um if you want to to meet people like that 
Start building up your portfolio of work. Start doing something and you will gain um, a name for yourself. You don't want to, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to connect to somebody if you can be like, oh, well, you're doing this membership site. Well, like, I'm kind of doing that too. Like, I'm nowhere near as big as you, but I'm shooting for that, you know? And, and to have something you can point somebody to and just be like, hey, look at that. I'm not just somebody who's talking about it. I'm actually doing it. I'm, I'm actually taking steps to make action uh, and, and create something, whatever that something may be, a book or a website or a membership site or, or your coaching business or whatever. Um, you know, because there's so many people, I think, in this space that are very um, aspirational. They see what everyone else is doing and they want to do it. I mean, you see it at, at WDS. They're like, wow, I really want to do what you're doing. It's so great and everything. But how many people, those people actually take action and then do it? Um, I'd say 10% maybe. Uh, if you if you made it to WDS, that may, maybe makes it a little bit bigger because you're actually taking the action to be there, which is cool. It's definitely a step in the right direction. But generally, people, um, you know, as with many things in life, are, are all talk. And so it helps if you have something out there to show that you are an action taker. Yeah, or they or they make maybe the the same mistake I made at the beginning, which is uh, just starting a blog and kind of imagining that it will make money. <laughs> well, you know, even, even that though like even the fact that you went out and started a blog I don't care if you're not making any money off of it you have something out there and you've taken you've put time into it um, and you're doing something I, yeah. you can you could be losing money on it and it's still better than having nothing and another thing I realized though too when I was when I first, first like when I went to the first world domination summit you know I was really into meeting the people who already had the huge platforms and uh, it was more just because I was reading what they were doing and interesting mm -hmm. but at least in my experience, I found that it's 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 a little harder to connect with them because you're kind of you're you're a nowhere fan. near their level, in a way. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's hard yeah. to it's hard to approach, find that common ground. Never approach anybody as a fan. I've done it before. Um, even if you're even reading their stuff for years and years and years, never ever ever approach somebody as a fan because that's what you'll be pegged as, and you'll never be able to talk with them or do business with them on a different level. Um, or it'll be much, much harder if you if you start off and give a first impression of that. Um, if you meet somebody, even if you're like the hugest fan in the world, you know, hey, hey good to meet you. Um, you know, maybe I, I like your stuff or something like that. But talk to them as a normal person. I mean, granted, we're not talking like meeting Tom Cruise, but these people are big in their own circles, in the circle of travel bloggers and lifestyle, um, you know, lifestyle designers and whatnot. Uh, and so they do get people coming up to them, um, emailing them, et cetera, like wanting their time in general. Uh, and I, I know many of these people personally, I'm friends with, with them. And, and if you act in that mindset, just it kind of puts you into a different boat. And so even if you're not doing anything near as big, but you're actively taking steps to do it and you want to be at that level eventually, it's best to just, like I said, become friends with them. Uh, so don't go in and be like, oh, man, I loved all your blog posts. Like, I've read your book 20 times, like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's the wrong way to approach it. Always, if, if possible, be introduced by a friend or a friend of a friend. That's the best way to do it. Um, otherwise, if you meet them, very low-key, A, good to meet you. Oh, by the way, I think we know this mutual friend. Or, hey, like, I, I heard that you went to Bhutan last year. I went there, too. Some kind of thing to, like, you know, uh, start a conversation, something you have in common, but yeah, please stay away from like, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> Can you autograph my chest? <laughs> <laughs> I found that doesn't even work as well if you're a guy. <laughs> I know, right? I don't know why. <laughs>
And for, for those of you who are listening who don't know what the World Domination Summit is, I'll, I'll post it on the, on the page. But basically, it's a summit for online entrepreneurs and artists, I guess I would say. I don't know. What's your... Yeah, yeah. People, people wanting to... That are, I'd say, 50% are doing it, living the life. 50% want to live the life and are there for motivation, inspiration, um, and to connect with people that are already doing it. And it's just people that, like, they want to live life on their own terms, um, Tons of different ways you can do that, but uh, it's a very common mindset amongst everyone there. Like it's it's a super easy place to make friends of all different uh, types that all have the goal that they want to live life on their own terms. They want to have freedom, um, but you've got people there of all ages, all nationalities, um, all work experience. Uh, you've got. You've got people that are 60, you've got people that are 20, you've got people that are married, you've got people with kids, you've got all over the spectrum. Um, and it's just really cool to be there in such a diverse population, but you all kind of have the same overarching goal in mind. And uh, TBEX is more for travel bloggers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a few other a few other things that are going on, like uh, Chris Gillibo has his, his new... Um, his new conference coming up for people that are kind of running a solo business, which is just them and they're freelancing, whatever. And that's to kind of get your business to the next level. And that's going to be, uh, I believe end of March. Um, and there's, there's a few other things too. I'm, I'm trying to think of what they are like they're Oh, like South by Southwest is a good place to meet people in Austin. Um, every March. Um, there's, there's a lot of things like that. And generally if you attend one of them, you'll, meet the same people at the other events as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, another thing too, I, I should mention as well, just because I, I realized it myself lately is uh, it's easy to get, at least in my case in, in Calgary, Alberta is just, I kind of like forgot about my own place and I was always seeking uh, to meet people in other places across the world and kind of mm -hmm. like neglecting that there's actually a huge entrepreneur base in Calgary as well and I just didn't even think about it until now it's just kind of interesting to you know if you're having trouble connecting with people maybe it's better unless you're in the middle of nowhere if you're, if you're in a city it's probably a good idea to, to focus at home first as well because then it's easier to meet people face to face which is um, kind of more rare these days yeah and the easiest thing to um, at home and abroad is if you uh, if you could just make friends with one person, I mean, I know a lot of people are, are introverted and and may not be as comfortable walking into a room that they know nobody and just talking to people randomly. Like that's tough. That's even tough for me sometimes, and um, I've worked at it over the years. But if you could just meet one person that's a part of like a larger group or, or friend circle, um, they will introduce you to other people. I mean, granted, as long as you're cool and everything, uh, yeah, they'll they'll introduce you to the rest of them, and then that makes things easy. Uh, the same way I. I um, made friends with with our buddy Mike Rostowski, and um, whenever I was in New York, we'd meet up, and I'd meet all the other friends that he'd he'd made recently, um, right after he quit his job and kind of set out on his on his goal of uh, living independently and becoming a life coach and everything. And you know, through him, I developed a network of dozens upon dozens of friends, and, and it was just that one meeting, pretty much, that that changed that uh, a couple of years ago. And so it, it's not like that, you know, you just have to meet the right person, you know, who's an influencer, who can you make friends with, uh, you know, but don't go about it in a, in an artificial way. Like, you know, if you're going to make friends with them, you know, make sure it's somebody you actually want to be friends with. Yeah. <laughs> and and if, if things hit up, then, you know, organically you'll meet their friends. 
for sure. I have to say that um, Mike in general must be one of the, the, the best people I know are connecting with people. Oh yeah. He's so quickly. I don't know how he does it, but <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. He's, he's, even in the beginning, um, you know, a few months after he quit his job, like, uh, and he, he was already, you know, really, really connecting with people. And I just happened to meet him up with him at a, um, travel bloggers, random meetup in New York city, uh, Sean Ogle. And he had like 60 people just kind of meet up that night. And I happened to be in New York city and I happened to just go there alone and said, heck with it, not doing anything else this Wednesday night. And I uh, ended up changing my life. And so I always try to take every advantage to meet with people one-on-one or in groups or at, at conferences or meetups or whatnot. Uh, because like I said, every person you meet has the potential to completely change your life. And, and that conference and Mike and I and a few other people that were there that night that I'm friends with now, we talk about that often about like how that one meetup that uh, Sean Ogle did like changed our lives forever like now we're like best friends we're like traveling around uh in europe together and uh we'll be in in japan a few of them and we're in uh, phoenix at the end of this month like we're just we're hanging out like all over the world together and having these amazing times uh and that would have never happened if that night i was like you know what it's kind of cold outside i'm not going to know anybody there i'm by myself in new york and uh, I'm just going to stay inside. I'm like, no, I knew, okay, other readers of this blog have the same mindset as me, and so it's not going to be tough to make friends. I'm going to walk in there, and I'm just going to start talking to random people and make friends. That's exactly what I did, and it completely changed my life. And that's just some random guys meet up at some random bar in New York City one night. It's true. You definitely have to uh, put yourself in that situation for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I noticed that even stuff that, that I can make an excuse for not doing because of any number of reasons, I'm tired, it's cold, it's rainy, um, I don't know anybody, I don't feel like it, I'd say 90% plus of the time, I'm glad I did it. And that goes with like just about everything in life. Like if it's better to take action than to make excuses and not do something. Totally. So just for the last, uh, for the last two questions, I'll make them kind of fun. Just uh, what's the... What would, what would you recommend as three of your favorite books that change your mindset? Um, I'd say uh, I've got a favorite author uh, by the name of James Missioner, and he's, uh, he's written a lot of like just huge in-depth semi-fiction books based on nonfiction, and uh, he's written stories about countries all over the world and um, like from prehistory to history, and he does it in like a story type form. Really, really cool guy. Interesting dude to to read about. Just his life philosophy and everything was was really really um, eye opening, and I can really relate to it. So it was James Missioner. Anything he's done. Um, also, uh, I'd say Four Hour Work Week. It's kind of cliched, but I so yeah, I, was I already changed everyone's life. <laughs> yeah, I was already doing it before uh, before it came out by quite a few years. But like I was talking to my cousin yesterday, and he's he's working in a kind of a crummy job he doesn't like very much, and I said, read it, you know, because I actually told my brother to read it um, about a year ago, and now he's already he's on his way to he's learning programming, and he wants to like not live a quote-unquote normal life he just wants to have more freedom over where his life goes and how it, it happens and he he loved it and so now we're talking like my brother was there i was there and we're talking to my cousin like he's who's uh, i think 23 and and we're like hey you should read this book and so i always think it's you know if, if it resonates with somebody great if not great you know it's an easy way to find out um and it has a lot of tips about how you would go about setting up a location independent business and how you'd run it and what things to think about and what kind of niche you should get into uh, so that's that's an important one, I think. 
Um, and then other than that, um, hmm. Let's see, for a work week. I liked um I liked a book that, that actually Tim Ferriss really liked too, called uh um it's uh it's by Rolf Potts. Uh, and it's uh Vagabonding. Vagabonding. It's Vagabonding. Vagabonding. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. That's a great book, uh especially on solo travel. Um it's it it was written I think in two thousand two or three, so it's a little bit out of date and some technology, but uh, it's really good as far as like the mindset and whatnot. If you're if you're going out there, especially if you're if you're kind of you have some trepidation about traveling alone, uh, it's a good book to read. You know, it's basically about the art of long term travel. Um, and then along the same lines as vagabonding and uh, for our work week, I got to give a shout out to uh, to homegirl Natalie Sisson with her her book, uh, The Suitcase Entrepreneur, which is like a um, an updated version of four hour work week it was just released late last year i was i was helping her out on the uh, release party a little bit on the west coast and uh, she gives a lot of uh, real examples and how to step by steps um, recommendations for gear all that stuff for uh, living and uh, like traveling and working pretty much like that's the gist of the book so if you want to travel and work from your laptop uh, that is like a really good overview of of everything you need to think about for planning and doing. So that's uh, that's the suitcase entrepreneur. I think I'm in and the middle of her book right now. The name. <laughs> yeah. And last question, I just wonder for for those who are are listening, I'm assuming are um, you know interested in living limitless. So just uh, pushing those boundaries, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming uh, not necessarily having a job online, but you know being more uh, free with their life and what they do and what would be, uh, your advice to them? If well, you could just give one piece. I mean, mm. there's probably a lot, but if you could just say one, <laughs> we've got a half hour, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I would, I know a lot of people that are working in jobs that they're very unfulfilled. A lot of them are very, are miserable actually, they're doing it because they have a car payment or they have a house payment or they have student loans or they've got kids to raise. I mean, everyone has reasons why they're doing what they're doing without being happy. I would I would say at least uh, check into those books, read around a bit online, um, see what other people are doing that were in the same circumstances as you um, or maybe even still are. And get motivated by that and at least make yourself um, knowledgeable about what your options are because you don't have to to live that sort of lifestyle. Uh, and you can make gradual steps to get out of it and, and do whatever you want to do. It doesn't mean that you're going to become a web designer or write a book or whatnot, but you can possibly find your own way. Um, like my sister who just quit her job after five years of um, not really liking it and a lot of long hours. And uh, she just got her yoga certification. I said, why don't you go to Bali and just hang out with the yoga crowd in Bali? There's a lot of, a lot of yogas uh, over there and, and make friends and see where that leads you. You know, so there's a lot of different paths. And I think that um, you don't necessarily have to be entrepreneur minded. You don't even have to travel if you don't want. I know a lot of what we're talking about is traveling, but you could just stay at home and, and do all the same stuff. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. You know, the internet affords you. It, it could be done anywhere, including at home. And uh, yeah, and make steps like continue getting that paycheck, continue paying your bills, but also 
figure out what your options are, and maybe you can make gradual steps and kind of design something and build something on the side while you're still doing this. And then once it gets to a certain level, you can just kind of make the big step and say, you know what, heck with this job. I'm already making as much money as I'm making that job doing the side business. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the way I would do it. You don't have to just be like, I'm quitting now and then have no plan. I, I would recommend having a plan because bills are bills. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to expanding one's mindset, I guess. Mm-hmm. Asking, uh, just asking questions, you know, like I find being open to different different lifestyles from different people was what pretty much caused me to, to look around and see that there wasn't just one way that we've right. all been sold into yeah and there's a huge community of people already doing it and so it's not and they're they're normal people they don't have superpowers you know like they're normal people like you and me and um if they're doing it that means that you can do it too for sure well thanks scott for coming on the the podcast today yeah my pleasure man all right well that's it for the interview with scott brills had to uh, end it a little short. We did have some uh, some difficulties with some echoes and things like that, so I had to edit some things out. But for the most part, it was intact. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, you can visit Scott Brills at scottbrills.com. Feel free to stop by livelimitless.net if you want to leave some comments for Scott. I'll make sure he, uh, he answers them. If you're interested yourself in starting an online business and or traveling the world, I'd love to hear about it and help you out. Send me an email, matt at livelimitless.net and we'll get in touch. That's it for today. See you on the next show.